Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com slash stories to share your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's Word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Will you help me welcome our internet audience? Thank you guys for joining us. And uh, you may be seated. Well, how are you guys feeling tonight? Excited to be here? Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited to be here. If you, um, if you don't know uh, who I am, my name is Jordan, and I'm the uh, Meadowbrook College Extension Site Director. And I want to let you know how excited I am, okay? Because there is, like, the human level of excitement, right? But there's something beyond human level of excitement. It's called dog excitement. If you own a dog... No creature gets so excited about the silliest things like a, like a dog. I want to show you a few of my favorite dogs as we begin. Throw up that first one. Look at him. He's just, he's just excited to be outside. Like he's outside and he's excited. What's that next one? Like he's, he's so excited, but he's trying to hold it in because he wants to look cool for his owners. Okay, what's that next one? That guy needs a little... Uh, little puppy Ritalin or something. All right, throw up that, that next one. I love... <laughs> I lo- I, that dog is, is so excited that his little friend dog had to calm him down. And then the very last one, throw that up. God bless America. I don't think I could have said it better myself, model dog. Um, but I, I really am dog excited. I, I'm pumped to uh, be here uh, tonight. And I want to start by um, giving honor uh, where honor is due. I, I really believe um, that we have one of the finest pastors in the nation. Are you thankful, Pastor Tim? I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find another pastor uh, like him. And I, I really know this for myself and many others, that it is on his shoulders uh, that we are standing. So thank you, uh, Pastor Tim, for your uh, legacy. Well, I have the, um, I have the privilege of uh, leading our Meadowbrook College team. And uh, what Meadowbrook College is, is it's a unique partnership with, with uh, Southeastern University, uh, where anybody can earn an associate's or a bachelor's degree uh, in ministerial leadership but they can do it right here um, in, in Ocala. And what's really cool about this uh, program is you get the accreditation and the academic rigor of Southeastern, but you get to learn how to do healthy leadership in this kind of a context and environment. And to top it all off, it's one-third the cost. So um, if you're interested or you know someone who's interested or you think you know someone who should be interested, uh, Louis Colon, our director of enrollment, he'll actually be at the North Hub uh, to answer any questions you may, you may have. Um, before we uh, begin this evening, I want to, um, I want to share a story from uh, Meadowbrook College. Uh, one of the things we really believe as, as a college, but also as a church, is we believe in the idea of family. Family is, is really important to us. Family is not just something we say. It's not cliche to us, but it's deeply personal. We believe that you um, are, are part of our family. This is something that, that we breathe. It's our very um, DNA. And um, this past semester, one of our students, uh, he found out he was going to have twins. Not him, but his wife was having twins. And I kind of joke with him because now he's got a full basketball team, so he's, uh, he's ready to go. But, um, you know, the thing about babies is they use a lot of certain item. What is that item? They, they go through some diapers, right? And twins, 
that's a lot of diapers. That's a, that's a big expense. And so what our um, other students did is they got together and they started a couple weeks before the end of the semester collecting diapers uh, for this student. And so every uh, fall we end with our annual Christmas party. Uh, this year we actually set up uh, all the tables so we sat together. So we had like 20, 10 tables all together. It was awesome. But at the very end, we, we started sharing what, what he meant to us. And then we, we pulled out a cart of over 1,000 diapers. And, and all he could say through the tears was, you're my family. You're my family. You're my family. And, and what is true of Meadowbrook College, man, that is true of Meadowbrook Church. Amen. We really believe that, that you are our family and that there is always a place at the table for you here at Meadowbrook. Amen? Amen. Well, as, um, as we begin this evening, I have uh, two, two teaching texts. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans uh, 12, verse 2, and then Psalm uh, 139. So Romans 12, 2, and then Psalm uh, 139. And as you're, you're turning there, I'm going to share a little, uh, little story with you. Um, I went to Southeastern University for my undergrad, and then I'm also actually doing my, my doctorate there right now. And um, when I was in my undergrad, my, um, my preaching professor, he had a few pet preaching peeves. So I'll say that five times fast. Um, but he had a few pet preaching peeves, and one of them was under no condition did you ever in his class say Psalms 139. Because it's not plural. It's just one psalm. And if you ever said Psalms 139, you were getting the business. You pretty much got an automatic D. And so, no joke, this is six, seven years ago. Every time I preach from the Psalms, I wince a little bit inside because I'm reminded of the students who experienced the wrath of that professor. So, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Uh, Romans 12.2, if you want to throw it up there, though, Romans 12.2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then throw up a psalm. For you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it, knows it well. Uh, this evening I want to preach a message entitled, Holy habits. If you're taking notes, the title message is Holy um, Habits. I think it's imperative for you and I as we uh, begin a brand new year that we start with a clear perspective. Because your perspective and your outlook is going to determine what 2016 looks like for you. Our thoughts and our feelings affect more than we think. This is kind of a side note, but, but toxic thoughts will actually make us physically sick. And so your perspective on this year is going to predicate what this year looks like. So your outlook matters. And right now, we are still fresh with the scent of January. We're excited about a brand new year. And this is the key time for you and I to to jump in and experience all that God has for us. And I think a major way we can do that is by creating holy habits. Creating holy um, habits. And, And my hope this evening is to encourage you to set your perspective on holy habits. And really what we're going to do tonight is we're going to get into the question of how does change actually happen? How does change actually happen? And I want to um, start by telling you a story. 
It's a story from a, uh, a close, um, close friend of mine who I know too well. Anyone have a friend who they're not into a legal business, but they get into some mischief? I won't look. Okay? Um, it's the kind of friend that when you're with them, you don't do anything wrong, but you also don't do anything right. <laughs> Be honest. Hello, this is church. Uh, so I want to tell you a little story about a friend of mine. Uh, in a neighborhood near me lives a man named Distracted. We might have mutual friends. (laughs) Distracted, wanted to take some time to read his Bible on the porch. It was a beautiful day out, and the sun was starting to set. But then he made a mistake, a mistake we can all relate to. Before grabbing his Bible, he decided to check Facebook one more time. Only to emerge, 45 minutes later, traveling a great distance, but not one of them, a page in his Bible. Instead, he took a hike online. He went from one friend's page who was linked to her Twitter, read about the latest trending hashtag, Selfie Sunday, Fit Fam. Uh, next thing he knew, he was listening to the newest Adele song on Spotify, Hello, while doing the dishes. He then realized a dog needed to be let out. He had emails to answer. He still had to cook dinner. And 45 minutes later, he had totally forgotten about his Bible. Now, this story may or may not be true, um, but if we're being honest, you and I, I mean, we've, we've been there. It's the desire to, to do what is right, and yet we find ourselves distracted by all the, the noise that surrounds us. Now, that noise may be Facebook, but that noise may be simply a busy schedule. What the noise is, it's whatever keeps you from growing and developing in the ways that you want to grow. It's the, it's the noise that keeps you and I back from being all that we could be. But what if for us 2016 was to look brilliantly different? What if 2016 was the year that you and I decided to reclaim the wonder? Now, what wonder, you may ask, needs to be reclaimed? It's the wonder of of really, truly living life fully human. To live fully human, it's to live in in devotion to God, but it's to live in a sense that you're aware of his presence in your presence. You see, when it comes to our spiritual growth for us, this is a a multi-layered experience. Because here's what happens. The more we discover about God and his goodness the more we discover about the way he's actually created, shaped, and molded us. What is so cool when you discover God is that you discover who you really are. And, man, God's intent through the gospel, it wasn't just to save you. His intent was to free you. To free you to be the you that he created in his divine imagination. To be the you that God sees you as. Psalm 139 tells us that we're what we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That means... That deep in your soul is the seed of the man or woman God has called you to be. And we truly believe at Meadowbrook that God wants to do abundantly more in your life. That there's always more in God for you. Yet, so often, you and I may feel like we're not there. Maybe we, we see the vision of the man or woman we want to be. And each year we come with, with expectation and excitement, but then the year ends and we're going... That's not what I was expecting. Many of us at the beginning of this year, we did New Year's resolutions, right? But yet uh, research at the University of Scranton tells us that only 8% of New Year's resolutions are successful. What about the other 92% of us? What about the the rest of us? And man, I've been there where where I set these goals and I want to see them happen and the hope and the passion is there. But yet for some reason I don't reach it. I think if we're being honest... It's hard to change. It's hard to change. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. It's hard to, to change. We, 
we get used to patterns of life. We get accustomed to ways of thinking. And so we just kind of end up in this routine. But yet, the scripture clearly expresses to us that we can be transformed. Romans 12 tells us that. And then Psalms 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so the question is not if we can change. The question is how do we change? How do we change? And I want to I submit this idea to you tonight. And I believe, um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about change rather than creating the right habits that facilitate change. Instead of spending so much time talking about change, what if we cultivated the mind to form the right habits that lead to a changed life? And so for the rest of our time together, I want to look back at these two texts. Because I think tucked in between Romans and Psalm is, is a really powerful truth that will lead to a changed life. It's a truth that follows the path of holy habits. So I want to look first uh, at Romans 12. Romans 12, 2. Again, it, it, it says this, if you want to throw it up there. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So uh, the book of Romans, a little context, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And if you think uh, John Grisham pops out a lot of novels, Paul wrote 30% of the New Testament. Hello. So this, is a, this guy's a deep cut here. And, and Paul, uh, when we look at Romans, Romans, if you go to a seminar or a Bible college, you'll often have cl- a class just on Romans alone. Many theologians, they call it the systematic theology of the New Testament. It is, it is we would say, well, maybe Paul's one of his greatest works. And so this, this chapter is the, the final section of kind of the main body of the letter. And it's here that, that Paul uh, shifts his focus from the imperative or from the indicative to the imperative. And what that means in, in regular terms is Paul's about to get his preach on. Okay, Paul's about to let Romans know, hey, guys, this is what it's really about. These are the things that are going to set you apart, that are going to lead you to the life you want to live. And, and so right here, the first thing he says as he starts to preach to them is that idea. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now I want to stop for a second and think about that word transformed. That word transformed is used one time in, in the Gospels. Of all four Gospels, that, that word is used one time. And it's used to refer to the mountain of transfiguration, the mountain of transformation. It's where Jesus, right, is at the mountain of transformation. And in Matthew uh, 17, 2, it tells us this, that Jesus... He was transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun. Now, that's interesting that Paul chooses to use that word. I don't think it's by accident. I think what, what Paul is saying is that the transformation that you and I can experience is the direct transformation of what Christ did on the work on the cross. And because of that transformation, we can be marvelously transformed. So then what Paul, does he do? He, he lays out for us, well, how does transformation happen? And he says, transformation happens gives us a real good line, by the renewal of our mind. He says, transformation happens by the renewal of our mind. He says, our lives are changed as our, what, our minds are made new. Your mind is incredible. One of the most amazing aspects of human beings are our minds. And so here Paul is talking about, he says, how do we change? It's by the renewal of our minds. And so I want to pause there for a second and then kind of jump over to Psalm uh, 139. Uh, Psalm 139, if you want to throw that up there, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul 
uh, knows it well. Now, this psalm, it's, um, it's written by David. And David, in the Old Testament, we know that he was anointed to become king. Now, this was not something he applied for. This was not something he was looking for. He was simply content to watch his father's sheep. And yet, God, what does he do? He calls him out of the wilderness and into the palace. But David, of anybody, understood what it meant to see a vision of who you could be, right? He's called to be king, and yet he faces what? Man, he faces opposition after opposition after opposition. He's often, what, running for his life in fear of death. He's homeless. He has all these distractions, right? These scenarios that arose that that could have derailed him from his calling, and yet what does David do? Man, he stays the course. He keeps looking forward to what God has promised uh, social psychologists would say David had grit. He had that internal sense that no matter how many times I get knocked down, I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep pushing forward. I've got purpose inside of me. I've got a divine imagination directing me. I'm going to make it to the end. An amazing picture we see uh, of perseverance in, in David. And so this Psalm 139, this, this is written near the end of his life. And so at this point, we're, 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 we're kind of listening to David the sage, David the wisdom writer, and, and And here's what he chooses to tell us. He says, this is what he says to us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Of all the things, David, as you're ending these last few psalms that you're going to speak to us, why highlight that? There's got to be significance there. Now, um, before we look at this in in detail, I want us to think about the the danger of familiarity. Maybe you've heard of it. The the danger of familiarity is the idea that, that you and I can be around something so much that we, that we take it for granted. And so, for instance, have you ever been, like, uh, leaving work and you drive home and all of a sudden you're like, how did I end up home? Like, there's that space, 20-minute space. You don't remember a single thing. All you know is you, I left work. I'm in my driveway. Did I teleport here? Like, what, what happened, right? Like, what happens? Well, what happened is the danger of familiarity. You're so used to driving that you just kind of become numb and you're not even thinking about what happens. And often there are ideas in the scripture that if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of the danger of familiarity. And so we hear things like, God is good. And if you've been in church for any length of time and the pastor says, God is good, what do you say? All the time? God is good. But when was the last time you just stopped, paused, and thought about that simple expression, God is good. That means he's good. That means his plans for you are good. That means his love for you is good. That means that he's got purpose for you. That means that God right now is currently thinking about you. Because we know that God's all-knowing. And if God is all-knowing, that means he can think about every single one of us at the exact same time. So God is currently thinking about you. God is good. That's powerful. But yet if we're not, what, if we're not aware, we can fall into the trap of, what, the danger of familiarity because we we are around something so much, or we hear something so much that it sometimes loses it, its strength and its, its potency. And so as we approach this text, let's be uh, weary of the danger of familiarity and, and almost look at it with fresh eyes. And so David, he tells us, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully, the word fearfully here, it means, it means awesome. It means with respect. It means to be uh, revered. It means that that God created you in an awesome way. Not like those tacos are awesome, but in a Grand Canyon awesome way. The word wonderful here means extraordinary. Think about things that you've seen in your life that are extraordinary. And so let's, let's pause for a second. This means that when God created you, he created you in an awesome way. 
He fashioned you in an extraordinary way. There is purpose in your very creation. And so your uniqueness is not by accident or simply the results of genetics. But you were created by God to be uniquely you. There will never be someone like you. There will never be a better version of you. There will never be a more awesome, astounding, extraordinary creation than human beings. And so you and I, we were created with, with purpose. And beyond purpose, you were biologically and neurologically created in an astounding way. When your body is sick, you get a cut, what does your body do? It begins to naturally heal itself. As a baby, when you're first born, you don't have to learn to learn. You're just naturally, your brain starts what? Your brain starts learning. Your brain starts forming ideas. It's amazing that as we grow, our brains are capable of what? Creativity. We can invent things. We can make moral decisions. We can actually imagine what the world could be like, and we have the potential to change it. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. That means the person sitting next to you is a masterpiece created by the divine artist to show off his glory. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And so in Romans, what does Paul do? He, he describes for us how transformation happens, right? It's by the renewal of our minds. Now, isn't it interesting what, what, what Paul highlights? Like, does he say the renewal of my mouth? No, the renewal of my feet, my hands. No, he's very, very specific. He says the renewal of our minds. And then David in Psalm 139, he tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I believe one of the most fearful and wonderful ways that you and I have been made is in the realm of the mind. Scientifically, we would say in the realm of, of neuroscience. And I think tucked between these verses is a really powerful truth about how we change. And so I want to spend uh, the rest of our, our time together uh, really looking at the way God has created our minds. And so the typical brain is 2% of your body weight, but yet it consumes 20% of your total energy and oxygen. Why is that important? That means in the very way that God has made you, your brain requires the most attention. Brain information moves 260 miles per hour. If you're wondering how quick that is, that's faster than a Formula One race car. The idea that you only use 10% of your brain is a myth. You actually use all your brain pretty much all the time. Have uh, you ever fallen asleep with a problem and woke up with an answer? Even while you sleep, your brain is still working. When you learn something new, the very structure of your brain changes. Your brain was built for learning. Your brain was built for transformation. Your brain is very moldable. And your brain's also connected to everything you do. Your emotions, your thoughts, your taste, your personality are all connected to your brain. The human mind is the most complex organ in the human body and the most complex creation in the universe. There is nothing that God has made more fearfully and wonderfully than your mind. Your mind's incredible. Every day, you, you have 70,000 thoughts. I think most of mine are about good tacos. Um, you make over 35,000 conscious decisions. Keyword there, conscious decisions. That doesn't even equate for all the unconscious decisions you make. And when it, when it comes to the brain, our central function is to make decisions. Okay, that's what the brain does. It makes decisions. And when it comes to transformation in our life, it'll always end up being a decision. Whether that decision is an action, a thought, a feeling, a desire, it's still a decision in the mind. If I think something wrong, what am I doing? I'm, I made the decision to think that. If I uh, feel hatred, my mind chooses to feel that. And every day, minute by minute, we're making social, personal, and ethical judgments. And so part of the challenge, though, for us is that, is that you and I are often unaware of all the decisions we actually make. And so if our brain is in the business of just gathering all this information and steering behavior 
appropriately, and there's so much that we consume, then that means that we're not always aware of everything that's going on. And we see evidence of this when you're driving and your foot hits the brake before you even realize the silver Nissan Altima is backing up. What's happening? Well, your, your subconscious is just kicking into overdrive. And so most of the decisions we make, we're actually making them subconsciously. And if the subconscious didn't do the majority of the work, what would happen to you and I is that uh, we would get nothing done because we'd be paralyzed by the onslaught of what? Decisions and decisions and decisions and decisions we make every single day. And so moving forward, it, it's imperative to realize that a lot of the decisions we make in life, we make subconsciously. A lot of times we're not even aware of the decisions we make. And when we talk about the mind, it, we do a great disservice when we leave the emotions out. In fact, minds without emotions would just be void and lifeless. It's the emotions that give us what joy and, and passion and, and energy. Emotions are also powerful. You and I, we may know what the right thing is to do, but let's say we were in a calm mode and we drove to church today and somebody cut us off. We may know the right thing to do is say, Lord, bless them. May they receive a bountiful amount of green lights. <laughs> but be honest, that is probably not how we reacted. Why? We let our emotions respond for us. And so if so many of our decisions that we make are done subconsciously or done emotionally, then what's the most effective way that you and I can experience the change we want to experience? Because I don't think we have to be prisoners to our subconscious or our emotions. I think woven into the very fabric of our being is a way to change. And so as the research has shown, our brains are very much connected to growth and transformation. It's in the brain we make decisions. It's in the brain that we decide between what is right and what is wrong. And so what if you and I, instead of always trying to teach the brain what is right we started creating good brain habits. Because when it comes to change, we tend to talk a lot about what to do and how to do rather than just creating the right habits. Now, this is not to say we don't ever talk about the difference between right and wrong. Is that important? Yeah, absolutely. There are things that have to be taught. But when you and I spend an inordinate amount of time what we believe needs to be taught and neglect creating good habits, we may be missing out on the transformation we want to experience. You see, our brains are a collection of habits. And, and the reason why is because your brain is always trying to make life easier. And so what if we kind of turned transformation on its head and created holy, lasting habits? Because the, the point of transformation, it's not that we know what is the right thing to do. It's to what? It's to do the right thing. And to do this, we have to cultivate the right habits that lead to the right action. And what's at stake if we don't? Well, if we don't do this, then we'll succumb to subconscious and emotional responses. But God did not create us to be prisoners to emotions or anything else. God has laid out a path of change, and it's through holy habits. Uh, William James, a, a philosopher, he once said that all of life, so far as it has form, is but a mass of habits. And so that means that you and I are a collection of habits. What does that mean? It means that this morning you woke up, hopefully you brushed your teeth, but when you went in there, you didn't think about brushing. You put toothpaste on there, but you didn't think about angling the brush. You didn't count one, two, three, four, five. Like when you were a little kid, what'd you do? You just had the habit of brushing your teeth. You went into the kitchen and you made coffee. You didn't think about all that you were doing there. I know my kids are probably stumbling in there because I'm so tired, but, but you didn't think about it at all. You just what? You just went through the motions because your brain has created a habit. 
Your brain has created a habit. And the brain, again, what is it doing? It's always trying to make things easier for us. It's trying to make anything it can into a habit. And so this, this process where the, where the brain con- converts a sequence of action into an automatic routine, it's, it's known as chunking. And it's at the root of every single habit. Now, there are um, simple chunks, if you will, like brushing your teeth. It doesn't require a whole lot. But there are more complex ones. When you're driving, you leave work, you end up at home, and you don't remember in between. What is that? Well, your brain has created driving as a habit. And habits, scientists say, emerge because the brain is trying not to exert effort. Now, here's what's so important. The brain is trying to make any routine a habit. And the key word there is anything a habit. That means it'll make good things a habit, but it'll also make what habit? It'll make bad things a habit. So the implications here are good and bad. It's just as easy to create a bad habit as it is a good one. And if you and I aren't aware, habits will occur without our permission. They don't even have the decency to ask us. (laughs) But you can design habits in a deliberate manner. Please hear this. Habits shape more of our lives than we realize. They're powerful and strong. Uh, Social scientists tell us that at times we will cling to habits at the exclusion of everything else. And so that means it's so important that you and I develop good, holy habits. And you and I, we've all, we've all experienced the negative side of this. Like, we start having a cookie at 2 p.m., and then what happens? Like clockwork, 2 p.m. hits, and what goes off in my mind? Cookie. And I'm looking everywhere. I'm going to find a cookie. Like, where is the cookie? I may tell you to hide the cookies from me, and then I turn into the cookie monster, right? Cookie. Like, I will get that cookie. Why? Because I've created, a, I've created a habit. And so what if we were to take that idea and we were to start creating holy habits? And we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and it says in Romans that transformation happens by the renewal of my mind. And so what if you and I create good, holy habits? But to do this, we have to understand how a habit forms. Now, a man by the name of Charles Duhigg, he wrote an amazing book called The Power of Habit, where he kind of outlines how um, a habit comes to be. And when it comes to a habit, it's really a three-step process. There's a three-step process. It's routine, cue, reward. Routine, cue, reward. So the first step we want to do with the habit is to identify the routine. So let's say you and I have the habit of having a cookie in the afternoon at 2. We try to avoid this. We know cookies are bad for us. I'm starting to notice right here is something's going on there. But no matter what, I have to have my cookie at 2. What am I doing? i got to identify that routine. And it's here you ask yourself, why the cookie at two? What's the reason? Am I tired? Do I love the taste? Is it a quick reward? Why the cookie? Step two is to experiment with rewards. Uh, Duhigg says rewards are powerful because they satisfy cravings, but often we're not aware of what cravings are actually driving our behavior. And there's so many things like that in our lives. So will an apple be the same as a cookie? Will a cup of coffee? Or is the reward simply getting up and stepping away from my desk? What's the real craving? And then the last step is isolating the cue. What triggers all this to happen? Is it when the clock is showing 2 p.m.? Is it my third period of class while I'm in college? What is it that cues the habit? Is it a certain time, an emotional state? What triggers it? And once you identify this, you can be well on your way to changing this habit. And every single habit is like this. There's a cue which triggers a routine which finds satisfaction in the reward. And most of the decisions we make each day are actually habits. 
They've been formed and, and molded over time, and they follow the same pattern. So what if you and I were to look at our lives and go, I'm going to establish healthy habits. I'm not going to be a prisoner to my emotions or my past or anything else that's limiting me. Man, habits are powerful, and, and if you establish holy habits in your life, then you'll experience the change you're looking for. I want to end tonight by, by sharing uh, with you a story, uh, a story about one of the most important um, habits in my life. It is a little habit that is, has totally altered my perspective on, on life. And this habit really began before I was born. It's a habit that begins with my, with my grandmother. Ever since I was little and, and anytime I was ever around my grandma, she would say one phrase to me. Not That's not the only thing she'd say to me, but she would say it a lot. And she would say this one phrase, say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. As a little boy, I can remember my grandma saying that. And that, that little phrase carried on with my mother. Uh, I can remember on Monday morning, 6.30, getting ready for school. No joke, my mom busted into my room. Today is the day the Lord has made and you will rejoice and be glad in it. <laughs> and at 14, all I could think is, nobody is rejoicing at 6.30. Not even God is up right now. <laughs> but throughout my life, throughout college, that same phrase kept coming back and back and back every single day. And then even into my marriage, I carried that same phrase. My, my wife was joking with me last week that um, when we first got married, I, I would like stumble into the kitchen by the coffee maker. And I guess because I was kind of groggy, I would like say that under my breath. This is the day the Lord's made and we'll be joyous and glad <laughs> <laughs> and she would just be like, you look pretty joyful to me, buddy. <laughs> but in all seriousness, for the past probably 10 years of my life, every morning, one of the very first things I think when I wake up is that phrase that my grandma taught me. Today is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a little phrase. You know what that one little phrase has done for me? Is it has set my perspective in the right light. That when I wake up, no matter what I have going on that day, I know, God, you are for me. God, my joy is in you. God, you have what I need. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice. I will find peace and life in you. What is that? That's one tiny little habit that may seem insignificant, yet it sets my whole day in the right perspective. And that's just one example. But really... Man, I could go on and on of talking about the different holy habits, whether it's prayer, whether it's getting into the scriptures, whether it's finding daily solitude. Habit after habit that what it's done is created these disciplines inside of me. You know, a couple years ago, Pastor Tim had an amazing series. He said, it's not about trying, but training. It's not about trying, but training. The whole idea of habits is that we're training our minds to have holy habits things that, that honor God and lead to our transformation. And so change is possible. In the very fabric of your DNA, God has created you in a such a way that you can change. And if you and I want 2016 to look brilliantly different, then we must learn to develop holy habits. Do you get anything out of this tonight? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.